All right, folks. We know the COVID crisis sucks. We know you're tired of being locked down, quarantined in your mom's basement, your apartment, your house, your mansion, wherever you are across this globe. But let's think of the positives. Some good has come of this. The debate is now over. Jim Ryan has been named the greatest American distance runner in U.S. history by the Let's Run.com faithful. We're going to talk about that and so much more this week. You think there may not be a lot to talk about in this time right now, but there's plenty to talk about. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, and I will be joined as always by my twin brother Weldon Johnson, as well as ace staff writer Jonathan Galt. We're going to talk about Jim Ryan and so much more, including will Jonathan Galt be fined $300 for running on the most popular trail in Boston? The pin relays have been not been held in April for the first time since 1895. It's almost May, folks, and that means big things. May 1st is the 10th year anniversary of Chris Zelensky's 2659, and we have a special piece coming up on that. And Jonathan Galt may or may not have spoken to the most secretive man in all of track and field. His first name starts with a J. His last name starts with an S. Plus, if it's May 2020, you know what that means. It's the 20th anniversary of Let's Run.com, and big, big things are in store, folks. I'm not allowed to tell you what, but we will be announcing something. Let's Run will be going to 2.0 soon. Weldon will kill me if I tell you now, but this is going to be big. This is not overhyped, people. Jonathan Galt stepping in here. Robert has a tendency to oversell things from time to time, but this one will be worth the wait, so uh, just keep your eyes peeled for that and we're, I'm still not done talking about what we're going to be talking about. Folks, Sebco has spoken to Let's Run.com yet again for the second time in six months. I'm a little disappointed, though, because last time he reached out to me exclusively. This week, he's sought out Jonathan Galt. And folks, if you're struggling in the financial crisis, in this COVID crisis, like Let's Run is, our advertising has dropped <laughs> way, way down. Folks, I've got the person you can ask for money. Max Siegel, folks, it's come out this week that he, his compensation for 2018, now some of this is deferred over four years, but it was $4.2 million. So call up Max and see what he can do for you. But seriously, you can support the site by supporting our advertisers. We've got two this week. Normatech and Hyperice have merged together, folks. These are the ultimates in the recovery market, and they're celebrating their merger by having the biggest sale ever. If you're serious about recovery you can get $300 off the Normatec leg pulse 2.0 $300 off $50 off all the uh hyperized products so check that out go to the letsrun.com homepage you'll see the banners you'll see the links go there save big also our friends at thefeed.com they have it all whether you need a, a PR lotion an immunity boosting pack the Martin Sports drink or that BLDG active Microbial face wash. They've got it all. Go to thefeed.com slash let's run and you'll save 15%. I think Weldon's splashing is spraying in his face right now. Is that the microbial face wash, Weldon? That's the face wash. You guys hear that? Excuse me, I had to take off my mask to spray that on. I'm podcasting properly with a mask on just had a discussion with a guy he, he's not sure why people drive around with a mask so i decided to podcast with a mask and folks more exciting news the let's run family is getting one baby bigger today 
Employee 1.1 is at the hospital right now. His wife is, she may have already given birth. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everything is healthy with them. And this may be the last podcast for my brother, Weldon. His wife is due next, what day of the week is it, Weldon? Monday, next Monday. And may have to leave during the podcast, rush out to the hospital. I know, I'm, I'm kind of amazed Weldon isn't more stressed out about this. Like, I would think if my wife was scheduled to give birth on, you know, three or four days from now, I'd be thinking every second, I'd be like, oh my God, is she going to go, is her water going to break? Is she going to go into labor? Do I need to drive her? Do you have a, a route to the hospital mapped out, Weldon? Uh, no, I asked her the other day, what, what's the name of the hospital? I, I got kind of worried she might pass out or something <laughs> and we've, we've changed hospitals. And, but John, do you have a big announcement? You said your wife, did, did you get oh, married no, 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 no. during Excited. this? If my wife, if I had a wife, yeah, I know you guys, I trust me with how often you guys ask about my love life. I wouldn't have uh, left you out of the loop on that one. Well, I, I thought the same thing. Well, then I was very excited. John may have secretly gotten married. He couldn't invite us to the wedding because of the, of the quarantine. We couldn't feel bad about not getting the invite but but all right guys let's get to the big news of the week jim ryan the american goat what do y'all think of this i mean obviously if we take a, a big picture at it it's an upset because john only seated at number three i mean if, if you told me at the beginning i kind of thought okay Joni benoit is definitely going to be in the women's final and then i kind of assumed i don't know maybe frank shorter in the men's but ryan do you think th- a three seed was an unfair seating robert I haven't had time to think about where you should have, if you misseated him. I mean, you did make some mistakes, that's for sure. You've had three weeks to think about if I misseated him. We've talked about my seatings on multiple podcasts. Like, I feel like if you had an issue about it, you would have brought it up by now. Well, I was thinking of it this way. To me, he's he's a worthy winner, more than worthy winner. What other runner? I, I can only think of one. I can't think of any on the men's side. What other U.S. men's runner was setting world records and contending for an Olympic championship? In the modern era, I, I anyone name him? Yeah, modern era. I mean, if you're talking seventies on, I can't think of anyone. Or sixties on, I guess Ryan was in the sixties. Well, I guess Dave Waddle. He wouldn't set world the, records. No, he he set a world record. I think at the Olympic trials, right? So you know, it's it's a very small list. You know, probably just Waddle and, and Ryan. I mean, I guess Waddle did have the Olympic gold. But um, Ryan was more of an American icon, seven Sports Illustrated covers. And then on the women's side, I think if you're looking for that criteria, world records and Olympic medals, you've got Joni. She won the Olympic gold. She had a world's best in the marathon um, from Boston, which obviously, though, is an aided course. Um, But, you know, Ryan's world record lasted longer. So And Ryan smashed – I mean, Joni – well, Joni smashed the world record, I guess, when she ran in Boston in 1983. But – Ryan was also smashing the world records. I mean, he was taking multiple seconds off the 1,500-mile world records, which is pretty incredible to think about. But, Robert, you said at the very beginning, the debate is over. I don't think so. I think people are going to still be arguing about this because if you look at the results of the two finals, uh, the semifinals, Jim Ryan against Frank Shorter and Joan Benoit against Jenny Simpson, Jim Ryan got, I think, 52% to 48% for Frank Shorter and... Dina Castor got, I think, 50.5% to 495 for Jenny Simpson. So there is a significant portion of our audience that probably disagrees with the outcome. I think it's that's one of the great things about this is we do have an outcome. Jim Ryan has been voted the GOAT, but 
people are going to be debating about this in bars for, for years to come, and I think that's perfectly fine. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to hint at this, but maybe we can ask Dina next week. But I thought when the voting was getting close to over that Jenny Simpson had this thing. You guys, Robert, I remember famous words from Robert, like, there's too many votes for Dina to overcome. Was she smart and strategic? Like, she had all her fans, like, wait and just bombard the votes at, like, 11 p.m.? So, like, Jenny's people couldn't catch up? Did she hire, like, a voting, you know, system to sort of maybe try to get into the system? Well, I've heard Robert Mueller has been retained by Jenny Simpson, and he will be launching a full investigation into the outcome of this bracket. Well, if that's the case, John, then we know he's going to find nothing of substance. Robert Mueller may be past No collusion! And... No collusion! <laughs> but, come on, let's assume Jenny Simpson did make the final. Do you really think she would beat Jim Ryan? I mean, Jim's got Olympic silver, Jenny's got a, Jim, Jimmy's got uh, Jenny's got an Olympic bronze, Jenny has nothing close to a world record, no American records. Yes, Jenny did win a world championship gold, but Jim Ryan, if they had a world championship back in the day, would have won at least one, if not two, world championship golds. Um, so uh, I think that Jim Ryan would have would have easily beaten Jenny Simpson if that had been the case. But, you know, I, I think that the debate in the final ended up being Dina versus Jim. And there were some fascinating discussions on this in the, on the message board. And I, and I was really a, sort of amazed by some of the talk and I looked up the IP addresses of the people talking about it. One of them was from New Zealand and one of them was from Australia, the two most impressive posters in my mind on this, on this matter. And it was kind of interesting, um, you know, how they, they, they were describing this. So a poster from New Zealand, I think his name, his or her name was Armstrong lives says you know, outside of the U.S. today and a coterie of marathon devotees, the name of Dina Castor means nothing. As a finest runner, she may be. There really is no comparison. One athlete was an international colossus, however brief his time in the sun. And the other, for all her undoubted national achievements, is only a hometown hero. You can't match the best in the world as Ryan was in the sport, as he wrote, wrote the record book, with only being the best in your own country, as Castor has been, however enduring that level of career. So... They're basically, this person is like saying, look, look, Ryan was a really famous big sports bar. Dina was not. But then, you know, the, when you look at the analysis at the end of this, um, some people are saying that, that Castro actually could have, could have gotten the vote over Jim Ryan. Well, I think it's an interesting point you bring up, Robert, because as soon as we launched this bracket, my dad, who is not really a running fan, he's a sports fan. He knows a little bit about running. He tells me, oh, Jim Ryan should win. And I'm like, really? Jim Ryan? I only made him a three seed. And this is a guy, when Jim Ryan was setting his world records, my dad was a, a kid living in England. And he still thinks Jim Ryan has to win this bracket. And clearly, I mean, if you ask my dad who Dina Castawa is, maybe he would know. I don't think he would. But Jim Ryan and his feats resonated with him. And clearly it trans, you know, crossed the Atlantic Ocean. And is that... Is that why he should be the GOAT? I think you should just go by resume, but I think his resume is a big reason why he was so popular back then. I hadn't thought about this, but if Joan Benoit had gone up against Dina, who do you think wins? I think Joan Benoit would have beaten Dina if the brackets had worked out that way, and then I think Joan Benoit would have gone on to win. I think the Colorado crew got behind Ginny. I mean, it's just sort of interesting. They're all very GOAT, great, very close voting 
the Let's Run audience isn't representative of the general public at large. Yeah, like my dad probably never heard of Dina Castor. I remember my dad talking about Jim Ryan. And some of that's just age and other stuff. I'm sh- I bet my dad would know who Joan Bonoit is because I remember watching the 84 Olympics as a kid. So it's pretty interesting. But hopefully we have both Dina and Jim next week. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to. It's in the works. I think I think hopefully it happens. Uh, got some final details to assure, but I think we got to be gonna... careful now about what's allowed to be said. If it's not WHO approved, you're not allowed to say things these days in certain platforms. Weldon's saying all of this without wearing his mask. I mean, he might I, are we recording this thing of a 5G guys? Are we going to we all going to get infected? Um anyway, so, yeah, I don't know how did that rumor start. By the way, how how did anyone possibly think you could get coronavirus through some sort of five G internet connection? I, I'm shocked. Like, what's the reasoning behind that rumor? I don't know. I think don't you think George Washington would be weird that he thinks that I can see you right now, John? I mean, it's very strange. That I can see you. How is that possible? So, it's very strange stuff going on. But let's get back to this. I, I want to share the the post from um, our Australian visitor. I never found out. I was wondering if this person was an American that lives in Australia because they knew so much about uh, the history here. But this post was from Matthew X Country, posting from Australia. And this person, I'm assuming is a man since their name is Matthew, uh, a great matchup in the final between Ryan and Castro. I came in thinking I would choose Ryan, the legendary high school miler who went on to break the world record. But in the end, after all the analysis... They voted for Castor, and they're and this is how they broke it down. World records, who has the edge? Obviously, Jim Ryan had world records. Uh, Dina Castor did not, so Cast- Ryan got the edge. But American records, it's interesting. Castor's American record is still av- surviving in the marathon. She's the only U.S. woman under 220. Here we are 14 years later, and that still stands. Ryan's world record, while it standed as the world record for quite a number of years, John, how many years was the world record? What, what? I think it was about seven years. Yeah. It didn't stand as a U.S. record for 14 years. No. It was only much less than that. So um, in some ways, you could think of her record as being better than than Jim Ryan. So in terms of he, – he called this category American records, gave the edge to Castor. Olympic performances, he said slight edge to Ryan because he won silver. Uh, Dina only won bronze. But he said it was pretty close. I mean – you know, if you think about Dina Castor's Olympic bronze medal, it it was quite impressive. The field she was facing was amazing. I mean, she was only defeated by two former world record holders, uh, Noguchi and Catherine Indereba, who I helped rabbit to a world record. And those are the two people that beat her. But people finishing behind her were Paula Radcliffe. Obviously, she was a DNF in that race. Um but anyways, she was beaten by Noguchi by one minute in the Olympics. Noguchi was the winner. But Castor was actually gaining on her at the end of the race. So very impressive race. Um, U.S. championships, Castor won five. Ryan only won three. Global medals, Castor obviously uh, won more. And this is the kicker, sort of the range. I mean, she was competing in cross country. If you consider the World Cross Silvers to be, you know, huge, huge medals, then clearly that's where he was hit a lot of his... Caster uh, impetus went for the. But I, I have a couple problems with that, Robert. And one 
being a middle distance runner, you're just more limited than someone of caster's skill set with cross country and marathon. Like those things kind of overlap. Whereas if you're a middle distance runner, you're not really running cross country. And other than the Olympics, Ryan didn't have any major global competitions to compete at. So I feel like that's kind of an apples to oranges comparison right there. Are we going to rerun the contest? I mean, I think when we started this thing, we didn't realize the lockdown just going to keep going, going, going. Could have had a men's contest, then a women's contest, then a square off. I think people get bracket fatigue. I would love to see the message board reaction, though, if Roberts announces we're going to be re- redoing the contest and making, like, you know, changing the seedings, that sort of thing. Uh, one other thing before we end this discussion on Ryan, I went back and watched his world record, his last world record in the mile, 351.1 from 1967. This is one of the most, I mean, I, I guess. I should have studied my history more. This is one of the most amazing races I've ever watched. He was 20 years old. It was like a dirt track or maybe a clay track or something like that. And hes I think it's mostly just a field of other Americans. Ryan's at the front. There's no pacemakers or anything. And he goes out and halfway in 158.6 for the half mile. And I'm like, he's going to break the world record off this thing? And then he just... Even his next lap isn't super fast. He gets to about 257 at the bell. They run to 53 high or like 54 flat last lap. I mean, his second eight, his 880 yard splits were 158.6 for the first half and 152.5 for the second. I mean, he was with the field with 600 to go and then just totally demolishes them, sets a world record with no pacemakers. I mean, how many Americans ever could do what he did? Like put them in the same situation with the, you know, spikes and with the track conditions and without a pacemaker, could anyone else have ever done that? Like maybe Steve Scott or Alan Webb in their absolute primes. I'm not even convinced of that. I mean, it's just a truly amazing race to go rewatch. Yeah. I think Jim Ryan was sort of like a transformational figure and clearly the best in the world, even though he never got the Olympic gold and, you know, Robert asked like how many guys could do what he did earlier i think what was your criteria robert possibly win a gold and set a world record and, uh, what seed was dave waddle i'm kind of shocked i'm kind of also shocked that the shows what optics mean the little guy in the white little hat set the world record but i can't think of any besides him i got one i'm about to put up who i would think going forward possibly could do it and that's donovan brazier if brazier breaks rudisha's world record and i know that's a big if but if he does that and then, like, you know, wins Olympic gold within the next few years, yeah, this we hold this tournament in 2030, he might be the champ. And I thought it was cool. Like, Dina and, and Jim were kind of tweeting at each other. Just the running community in general is sort of, I mean, I guess I wouldn't think basketball players would hate each other. But, like, LeBron versus Michael, there's a little feud with the, you know, people debating whether – LeBron's even watching Last Dance and all this stuff. But Dina tweeted out to Jim and just it seems like very positive how these running legends all view each other. I think they're all respectful of, of what they've done. Whereas I feel like in other sports, it's a little bit different, right? Running one thing, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're always competing against yourself. Sure, you're competing against others, but the one thing from the back of the Packer to the Dina to Jim is like you're trying to be your best, and there's the absolute time you can run. So I think it's it's more universal that makes us respect one another. I feel like you get it more in individual sports, like tennis. I feel like between the you know look at the current crop of legends with 
Djokovic and Nadal and Federer, I think there's a pretty definitely between Nadal and Federer, there's a mutual respect. They're fierce competitors, but they also kind of respect each other's greatness. I think you see that in track as well. Speaking of respect among legends, I think Dina also has some respect for the Let's Run readership because she reached out and she said she'd like to hear some questions from the Let's Run community and would would love to answer them. So I think next week we're going to try to put something together on the message board where you guys can, we're going to have a thread and you guys can post questions for Dina and hopefully Jim as well, and they'll answer them. And it's sort of like a Reddit AMA. Uh, so I think that's going to be a really fun opportunity as well. I can't wait to see what they have to hear. Hopefully you guys will come up with some good questions for them. And Dina was honest as well. In that email, well, she made her jobs easy. She also put us in touch with Jim Ryan and CC'd him, I think, on the second email. But she admitted that her mom's mahjong is that how you say it the card game i think wait is it a card game is it i thought it was like tiles like dominoes oh tiles dominoes you know i think you're right john it was it was there was a key scene in crazy rich asians which i think was a mahjong game so oh that's right her mom's mahjong game was you know they were might have been stuffing the ballot so maybe that's what put, put her over the top i mean dina's out in california right maybe the mom's group like at 8 p.m there really got behind it and flipped the voting (laughs) all right well it'd be great to have her on there one thing that's i think about maybe both dina and jim i mean we're talking about jim ryan kind of a transitional figure between sort of into the modern era of track and field he would be competitive now i mean but people say oh there weren't as many african you know competitors back then but you know he was kip kano was the one that denied him olympic gold when you think about dina i mean like her, her world cross silvers in 2002 and 2003, that's, there were still weren't that many African women competing. I mean, we were starting to get the domination, but like, like the first Kenyan didn't win the New York City Marathon uh, on the women's side until, well, I guess New York City was 1994 with a but she won 94, 95, and then it didn't happen again. The third Kenyan to win New York City Marathon was 2001, Boston Marathon. First Kenyan, Winner was 2000, Catherine Indarepa. And Ethiopia started in 1997. So you, you were just seeing the women start to come to the forefront sort of from Africa at the beginning of her career. I mean, if you look at like 2002, World Cross Country, where Dina was second, the winner was Paula Radcliffe. Colleen DeRicto was third. But there wasn't a lot of, I mean, the gap between these runners is pretty significant in terms of time. Um, 2003, she worked Nesh won it. Drawson was second. But look at the names in third and fourth. I mean, I don't know who these women are. Marima Dindoba of Ethiopia and Ayurusam Kuma. And they were 26 and 28 seconds behind Dina. So she was way ahead of them. So, you know, you didn't get the Dababas and the Defars until like a year or two later than that. So Yeah, but Robert, I mean, you don't... Look, a lot of the World Cross winners... I mean, I, I don't know what those women's resumes are, but like... I guarantee you neither of you guys can remember who won World Cross in 2017. She's a Kenyan woman. She was very good to win the race. But, like, do either of you guys remember the name Irene Cheptai? No. Like, just because they you don't totally remember them, I don't know what their resumes are. It probably was weaker, but I just think to say, like, oh, I don't remember it because she beat some person I don't remember, like, doesn't mean they weren't pretty good. Well, I guess finishing, what, within nine seconds of Paula Radcliffe is pretty damn good. And, <laughs> you know, I was just sort of comparing. I was thinking about it at the time. I guess Radcliffe is a giant. And the, the men's winner in 2002 was Kenesa Pekile. So, good, fair enough point. But much more to come with, from Dina and Jim in the weeks to come. Guys, I don't think we can both have them on the same podcast. It's going to take too much time. We need to have one one week, 
one too much goat too much goat in one podcast but john we've been talking about the winners let's go to covid covid19 where do we want to go next pin relays being canceled we should be talking about right now though the london marathon it was supposed to be sunday bikile v kipchoge or should we talk about your, your personal life and how you are risking fine by going out and running every day well, let's let's talk London first, then we can get to the fines. Well, let's. I wonder if let's run will be, you know, will let's run cover those fines if I incur them running. I mean, I'm only doing my job, right? Uh, that'd be my argument. Anyway, London Marathon. Yeah, it was supposed to be Sunday. I mean, it would have been. I I was really looking forward to this one, guys. I always look forward to the London Marathon, but the one thing we really haven't seen is Elliot Kipchoge and Kennedy Spikele both at the peak of their marathon powers in the same race. I mean, Kipchoge, you know what you're going to get, but Bekele, he's such a wild card. Like, is he going to show up into a one shape? Is he going to develop an injury? Is he going to DNF? You never totally know. And I think they've, you know, they've raced four times in the marathon before and Kipchoge, you know, hasn't been close. He's won all four of them. And the closest we got to the showdown was just those two. They set up uh, a video chat and was sort of making small talk and doing niceties, all the sort of things you'd say to someone you haven't seen it for a while, you know, oh, how are you holding on? How's the family? All that sort of stuff. Uh, it was just, uh, I, I, it's sad. You know, it was a beautiful week in London as well. It's been, the weather has been absolute shit here in Boston for like, I don't understand. We're, we're almost, it's May. We're two days away from May and we're barely getting about 50 degrees. It's just raining all the time. I mean, London, it was it was like 70 degrees that week. It was, I don't know. I'm, I'm just wistful for what might have been. Well, if you're wistful, John, the good news is we could have it in October. Comes out, I guess, on Friday of last week. London Marathon race director Hugh Brasher, nothing is off the table. So he's considering everything. The flame is still burning, said Brasher. Is there hope? Absolutely but you have to do what's right for society. You usually have 750,000 people out in central London watching 45,000 runners, plus there's the medics, 6,000 volunteers and everything. So they're considering having an elite-only race. They still haven't ruled out the mass race. I can't imagine they're going to let a million people get in close quarters, even in October. But this is the thing I've been talking about. If I'm signing up for a marathon as a pro, I'm sticking with London because I think they're most likely of any of the majors that are held in the fall to hold an elite only race. Yeah, I mean, it's like you look at Boston. Boston's not even the elite race is a part of Boston, but like a big appeal of Boston is the, you know, it's the People's Olympics, is the community aspect of it. Whereas London, they're very focused on getting these top elite fields. But then the other thing is like, if you're not getting the revenue, a lot of the times in these races, the revenue is driven by the mass participation races. They can charge a few hundred bucks to get those entries and that can sort of help fund their general race. So maybe actually, maybe it's Virgin that's giving all the money for the elite fields. I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I do know that the, the if you hold an elite only marathon, your race revenue is going to be taking a hit. So I kind of wonder how that affects things going forward. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. I mean, 50, 45, just say, you know, rough, let's round up and say 50,000 times, Three hundred dollars each is what fifteen fifteen million, is that right, Will? Yep, fifteen million. But I was thinking about this. If I was an agent right now for a top marathoner, or, or, let's say you're London, people were thinking. I was thinking originally, you know, a, few, a month or two ago, that like, okay, there's going to be tons of marathons, so there's going to be a bidding war for these pros because 
you know, okay, if you don't give me enough, I'm going to go to Berlin or I'm going to go to Boston or I'm going to go to New York or whatever. But now I'm thinking some of these races are already going to be scared off from even being held. So you could be if you're London. I don't think they'll do this. I think they have a like they they they, they kind of have an idea of what Bikile is worth or Kipchoge is worth, and they're going to pay him his fair value, whether they could get away with paying him less or not. But it seems like if they're actually going to be cutthroat, they could just say, okay, we're going to pay you less because we know there's going to be no other marathons. So and plus, actually, the revenue is down, so maybe that would be justified. And then you're going to miss out, and you're you, you basically these marathoners had no paydays all year. So be interesting to see how they they handle that behind the scenes. I mean, the running is just going to be fascinating because it's a mass event. I mean, the, and I, but I, society, the scientists, we don't even know. Like, there was a study linked to on Let's Run. I think it said two out of, was it 7,000 cases in China came from proven outdoor contact. So that's like a minuscule number, right? Yet now you're seeing more and more stories. Are you running with a mask on? This sort of stuff. Like, the science needs to be figured out. But, as a total layman, it seems to be outdoor activity with people running around. You would have a much less effect of getting infected than if you were actually at a sporting event sitting next to somebody or for a constant amount. An outdoor sporting event is probably different than indoor. Like There's all of these things that people don't know. But for running to thrive, you need people together. And are we even if the science came out, like how do we – you're going to have to have a few events go on and people become confident that – so you got multiple things to go on. One, the science to get there and show that these events can be safe, which seems to be not known. My, my, my thought process is if you want to have the mass race, you say, let's do it, but without the spectators. And you have to, you, but you're going to have to close down the streets all day, like 45,000 people. You know, normally they have waves going off, what, over the span of an hour, hour and a half. I would spend, I would spread them out, you know, over this, over, it would be a massive undertaking, but if you did it over 12 hours instead of, you know, five hours, you could spread them out much, much more massively or do it over two days even. Well, what I also wonder about thinking about the elite race is what kind of shape are these guys going to be in? Because Kipchoge is not in his regular training camp right now. Most of these guys are training solo and they, you know, they rely on their training partners to sort of help them train. And I guess maybe if you get to a point where it's like July or August, and they're able to get back into their training camps and they start training with a group again. Maybe it works, but I could easily see like a couple of guys just showing up. They're out of shape. They, you know, either slacked off or they, you know, they, it was just harder for them to get in great training in their situation. You know, are these races going to be, they're probably not going to be the same quality we've come to expect. It might take, you know, until 2021 or the second half of 2021 until those athlete performance levels to rise to what we we're expecting. Guys, you know what that is? Breaking news. Thank you. Thank you. Breaking news alert. Employee 1.1, Steve Soprano has just texted. He wants to introduce to the world Sydney Deline Soprano, 8 pounds, 4.4 ounces, and 22 inches long. Wow. She looks beautiful. Congratulations, Stephen family. This is John. John, let me warn you something. I'm preparing the Let's Run, the Runner's Guide to Fatherhood. I may publish it as a book coming along pretty nicely, but we need to get the real congratulations to CJ, the mom. She gave birth. Uh, the number one th- way I'm starting this book is men 
Do not say we're pregnant. We had a baby. You didn't do anything. This reminds me of, of, of the, of the coaches that act like they ran the race. You know, we did this. And, and I was actually saying this to my, you know, my go-to source on all things feminine, my friend, my former Hillary Clinton speechwriter, mother of four. I was talking to her about this yesterday. She's like, no, I think a better analogy instead of the coach taking all the credit is like, like if you're the spouse of a marathoner and you know, like, yeah, you kind of have to put up with them doing the long runs and the mornings and the weekends. And it goes on for months on end. And then you kind of have to, and then, you know, you show up at the race and maybe you jog the final mile with them and cross the finish line with them and act like you did the whole thing. No, you, you put up with a few minor inconveniences, but you didn't, you didn't kill yourself for several hours during the race. And for the previous six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months, it's actually Wait, 10 months for pregnancy. Robert, you said, are you writing a book? You said book there. Yes. The runner's guide to, so wait, you're, you're giving this guide, even though you're not really a runner anymore. It's going to take lessons of life that we've learned as runners that I've learned as a father that also are the same as running. Like the aid station is critical, John, like in a marathon, you got to know the, what are the pros worried about the night before the race? They want to know where the water bottles are, where the gels are. They set that up. It's meticulously planned. That's what Weldon needs to do right now. And I've looked at He's already got this set up in the house. They have a, a, a drawer and on top of it is the place where the baby goes. And the next to it is the wipes and the diapers and the clothes are right below it. So multiple changes, John, you got to know where everything is. Age station is critical. What? How do you know it's set up in my house? I didn't even know I had that set up in my house. I've seen it on Instagram. Your wife is posting pictures. She knows what she's doing. People are asking me if I'm ready for this thing. Absolutely not. The constant, guys don't even know about this. You got to have a changing station. The changing station is the most important thing. And you have like a little thing so the baby can't fall off of it. It's like a, like a, it's kind of like a, we had like a little wooden thing around. So you put the baby on top of the oh, drawer. I want to know now, Robert, how did, diaper duty, what's the percentage breakdown? How many of your, your son's diapers are you changing? How many? Yeah. What percentage between you, your wife, and the nanny? Well, the nanny's there during the day. Like at night, I would say the vast majority. Oh, really? He All prefers, right. I think, to be naked around. He doesn't want mom. Be careful how you finish that sentence. <laughs> Where you going uh, with that? He knows that his thing's different than mama's. I think he's a little shy. He didn't mind being naked around the 25-year-old old pair, though. He's smart about that. All right. I think we should cut <laughs> off this conversation. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, so actually, uh, right. I know I, I, I try to make up, I don't know. I think of like, I was not pregnant for 10 months. I'm still in the hole trying to make up for that. So. All right. Uh, let's talk about, I, I want to talk about this running or the, the mask rules that have been imposed in my part of the world. So new story this week in Brookline, sorry, not Brookline, Cambridge, Somerville, Massachusetts, as of today, Wednesday, they are requiring everyone outside must wear a mask or you're going to be, you risk a $300 fine. And immediately I'm getting texts from people. How is this going to affect running? Because the most popular running area in, you know, downtown Boston, that sort of, or the city itself is running along the Charles river Esplanade and half of it's in Boston. Then the other half is on the other side of the Charles river in Cambridge. And I run there a lot, multiple times a week. And I'm starting to think, Wait, can I no longer go there without a mask? Like, I, and then I, I look it up and I'm I see my town Brookline apparently has also instituted a ban 
like you have to wear masks when you're out in public or it's like a $50 fine. And I've kind of been running from my house the last few days without a mask and I didn't even know that was a rule. So I'm wondering advice. What should I do? Should I go out there and skirt the regulations? Do I need to run with a mask? Should I only pull it up when I see a John John Q. Law? What should I do here? I'm making this. Thank you, John, for bringing up this topic. This is the message board thread of the week. We'll link to it. $300 fine for runners not wearing a mask in Boston. It's not Boston. It's Cambridge and Somerville, which are towns that border Boston. Well, it says Somerville. So I guess now, I guess now the state is expanding, John. In Boston, the land of freedom, John. You guys are cracking down more. I mean, we've got more COVID here in Connecticut, I think, but we're probably more spaced out. So it's, it's sort of interesting, right? Because like, I was talking to a guy in the store right before the podcast, and he was sitting outside having a coffee, and he was just... I'm like, dude, you look too normal. You shouldn't be doing this. And he kind of laughed. And he's like, he took down his mask to talk to me. And he's joking about people driving with mask on and that sort of stuff. But I don't think they're finding people here. They're just sort of asking people to follow the rules. I mean, my whole take on it is I don't mind if I'm in an enclosed space. I, I don't mind the mask regulation at all. It makes sense. But I just like, especially sometimes if I'm running in the evening, which I tend to do fairly frequently i don't always pass that many people like if i'm out there at 7 p.m and it's starting to get dark on the charles river do i really need to be wearing a mask when i can pretty easily dodge most of the other people i see and we don't even know how much it even spreads the disease i mean i understand that wearing a mask you're less likely to spread or get infected than without wearing a mask but i don't know it's just it's a as a runner it's a bummer Maybe I'm being incredibly selfish here, but let me present myself as a COVID expert yet again, John. I know you don't like it when I do this, but I'm going to go hardcore on this. I think people should wear a mask outside, like in New York City, when you're walking down. Like a lot of these, eventually the country's going to start to open up. By the way, props to Canada and Quebec, I think it is. They're opening schools. These people are like, look, kids don't really get hurt by this. We're opening the schools up. So the, I, to me personally, I, I feel like. I thought all along the old should be quarantined and we should take social distancing seriously and mask fine. Like outside New York, like New York City is going to be the last place people are going to feel comfortable going around because clearly if you're in a subway, you're on the street, you're on a lot of people. There's just the virus is everywhere. Even if the wind's blowing, the wind doesn't blow as much because of the skyscrapers, stuff like that. So um, I, I think like walking down the street in New York, you should definitely be wearing a mask at, at all times while this thing is still out there until there's a vaccine. But like running, I would suggest John doing this. Like wear a bandana. I've seen a lot of people do this when I run here in Baltimore. People will have a bandana below their thing. They see me coming. They put it up. So when we pass each other, you know, uh, we're, we're not bleeding out. Although I guess it's kind of ironic because probably, you know, I'm running pretty, no, not that quickly, but within 10 seconds, I'm back where they were where there wasn't a mass. So I guess it could still be in the air and aero size. So. I kind of feel like the the mask rule should only apply if you're near somebody, but I don't want you violating the rules. Yeah. Well, the uh, the other issue is like, right, like at the popular times to run, these trails are now more busy than ever, and they're only going to get busier because that's all that people can do. They can't go out and play, you know, pick up basketball or volleyball on the Boston Common. They just you go for a walk. So when the weather's been nice around here, these trails have been actually packed. Uh, so maybe I just need to run in the evening every night or. I don't know. I mean, this is a very, I, I don't want to be super selfish and say, oh, we, you know, I, I want, how dare they take my runs? But I'm also just 
questioning exactly how effective this policy is, you know, when you're, when you're outside on a run, you're not really that close to anyone that much. Right. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I linked to the $300 thread, but there's a thread yesterday that I was reading. Runners that li- live in U.S. cities, are you wearing a mask out while running? And it's pretty interesting. People kind of were saying, like, it depends on where you are, what they see, what time of day you go. But, you know, I guess we probably shouldn't pretend to be a scientist. But, like, I think in general for people to comply with stuff, you want the measures to be like as minimally invasive as possible. And a lot of people are saying, look, I just have one just for show to show respect. If I come by someone, I look like they might want me to be one. I pull up a bandana or my face and keep going by. A lot of other people were like, look, I don't get within six feet of anyone. I don't have a mask on. I mean, that's what I do in my town. I never even thought about wearing a mask, but I've kind of noticed some people giving me looks. It's not required here. I mean, if it's required, I mean, John, do you want to like make a point of, of not wearing one? No, I mean, I don't want to be a dick about it, but I also just don't, I don't know. I haven't really thought about what I'm going to do. I mean, I run on the Cambridge side of the river quite a lot. I haven't really thought about how I'm going to approach it. Yeah. I think what needs to be done is a better explanation for things. I think a lot of, it's very easy if you're a sort of politician, your job is not affected by this for most of these people. You've got a steady income and it's easy to sort of have the hero complex, right? Like you can always do more and show like, oh, we're really fighting this. But is there any science that says you need to run with a mask on? If so, explain that. If 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 the rationale is like we don't know, it can't hurt. Explain that. But you know, as late as probably like less than a month ago, wasn't the WHO saying people don't need to wear masks? And now they've gone all this other way. So like, the science works both ways, right? We need explanations or the both ways. Otherwise, people who are probably way too dismissive of this would be like, "F this! I'm not going to wear a mask when I go to a grocery." or whatever it is, or indoors. So personally, I think wearing a mask while running is like probably the least of our concerns. But if that's the law in your country or locality, I mean, I don't like when I pass somebody on the trail, I try to hold my breath or look the other way to the side. I guess I should try the bandana to see what it's like to see. I mean, I've noticed a few people running the whole time with it. So maybe it's not that bad. But John, please don't violate the rules and the laws. What did y'all think? Speaking of masks, did y'all see that Vice President Pence, the American Vice President, went to some hospital or something? He's getting some criticism. He didn't bother to wear the mask, even though I think it was the Mayo Clinic or it was a famous hospital. And their their criteria is obviously you should be wearing a mask. And he did not wear one. His justification was kind of actually, I was like, what a jackass. And then I read his justification. I was like, well, actually... That's a pretty good justification. He's like, look, I'm tested for this disease on a daily basis. They test apparently him and Trump every day. He's like, I know I don't have it. The point of wearing the mask is so that you don't breathe out. It's not so that you don't get it. It's so that if you do have it and you're asymptomatic, you don't give it to somebody else. So, because they're not, you're not wearing medical grade masks that prevent it from coming in. It's like if you cough or something like that, or if you're running and you're breathing really heavy and you're putting this thing out. So I kind of was like, ah. Oh, well, I guess he's got a point there, but I just think the optics are bad. Like we want to, if you're the president, you should be in this, like we're in this together. Like, But it also like this just shows the craziness, right? A hospital is a much more important place to wear a mask than outdoors while running. And maybe for certain things, we have to treat a lot of things that aren't, you know, equal chance of spread the same. But in a hospital, even if you're tested, optics setting an example i would say for sure 100 percent wear a mask uh, the trump administration has never really seemed like they give a shit about optics so why would they change why would they start now 
But even you know, like Robert was saying, like certain places now they're letting kids go back. Like there's just uh, th- th- people are all over the place on this. I mean, Elon Musk tweeted out "Free America." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the guy obviously thinks outside of the box, but uh, maybe he's got business interests in mind. But it's like it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Elon Musk. Most of the people who buy these cars are pretty left, but he's not really left wing. So what are they going to think of that free America quote? But the optics to me, that's one of the symbolism of the presidency is one of the most important things. I mean, after 9-11, when, when people are, I'm sure on the left are not going to like me praising George Bush in any way, but he went to Yankee Stadium. He went out and threw the first pitch. People were like, oh, he could be assassinated. He didn't care. Like it was like a, a symbolic. People are looking for the leadership, the symbolism. I, Robert, as a self-professed person on the left, I would totally agree with you. That was a powerful gesture for America. I totally praise Bush for that. But John, while we're talking about leaders, congratulations to you, we're babies. Boris Johnson is a father yet again. He's survived COVID. And now his 32-year-old girlfriend has given birth. Now, I was shocked by this reading this this morning, John. Did you know, that, first of all, that your prime minister, John's half British, half American, if you guys did not know. Did you know that he, his wife, or his, not his wife, his girlfriend gave birth? Did you know that? Uh, I heard she was pregnant. I didn't know she, was, she had given birth. Now, what? this is fascinating. Guess what child number this is for him. Weldon and John. Five. One. This is what's fascinating about this. I cannot believe this. Nobody knows how many children the British prime minister has. The official reports is this is at least his sixth. He had four with his wife, one out with somebody else during an affair. And this is six that he's acknowledged. But there's widespread speculation there's been others, at least one other from the affairs. But I'm like, how in the hell in this day and age do people Sounds know like this? Game of Thrones, season one. Wow. Oh. I know. I thought, particularly in Britain, where you have to like know the secession and John's number twenty five thousand in line to the throne. Twenty five million, Robert. You didn't. Yeah, you weren't paying attention when we did that. <laughs> By the way, I told my wife that story. She couldn't believe that we fell for that, John. So, in case you guys weren't listening a few weeks ago, John said that when you're born in Britain, everyone is given a number like what they are in line to the throne. John said he was twenty five million, and Wells and I were amazed. We're like, wow, how do they do that? It was a. It joke. was mainly me. And I'm going to have to penalize myself and jump off the podcast. Guys, you're in good hands. Keep talking. All right. Well, then, hope everything goes well with uh, you and Catherine. Maybe next time you're on the podcast, you might be a father. I know. We got the biggest week of podcasting next week with Swinsky and Raymond, not Swinsky, Ryan and Caster. And I probably won't be on for any of it. Ratings will be probably way up. But hey, rate and review. Rate and review, guys. Talk to you later. Well, John, now that we've gotten rid of Weldon, podcast is really going to open up. While he was departing, I decided, John, just to type into Google, when was 280 days ago? Because pregnancy, people say nine months. It's really 10 months. It's viewed as 280 days. This is crazy, John. Do you know when 280 days ago? I was trying to figure out, you know, when was love in the air for these for Steve and Weldon? I just did, when was 280 days ago? And Google was giving me the answer. I'm trying to do the math here. We're right, right around May 1st, so five months. It would have been start, end of end of July, early August? Yes, end of July. Google says it was July 24th, 2019. Now, that date is significant. That is Let's Run.com Founders Day. That was the birthday of myself and Weldon Johnson. I'm wondering if employee 1.1... 
just thought on that day, like, I am so grateful to be employed by Let's Run, to have such great bosses. Let's celebrate, honey. And then we have 10 months later. Wow, Robert, you know, I doubted you for a minute. I was like, how is he going to make Steve's baby all about him? But you've you've come through in spades, my friend. Congratulations. See, this is why it's important, though, to read my book, because it's a tendency for guys to do. They make it all about them. This isn't even my baby, and somehow it's being made about me. So don't do this, guys. Don't do what I just did. Purchase my book when it comes out. Robert, what's more likely, that you run a sub-three-hour marathon or that you publish this book? It's- oh, the book's definitely coming. It's not going to be a long book. It's going to be like a pic- – you know you know what a, a cardboard – like a, like a picture book, like a cardboard book for the kids? These little books that are, have hard pages, it's only, they're only like 10, 15 pages. It's going like, to be not- a picture book for the kids, but it's going to be a guide for parents? I'm kind yes. of – you're losing me, Robert. Kids have these little books that are like hard uh, – they're like – I forgot what they're called – like cardboard uh, – uh, they're made out of cardboard so that they can't like tear the pages and they're normally very short. So I'm kind of thinking this is like basic, like the 10 commandments of fatherhood. You get it kind of as, as a, you know, as a, it's going to be great. I'm going to sell at least a hundred, couple hundred thousand publishers. One of the top publishers in the world wanted me to write a running book. If you're listening, please give me a call. We can make this happen. I know it's not what you wanted me to write, but we can do this. So John, moving on. I'm rooting for you, Robert. Oh, uh, speaking of three hours, um, I had a 25-mile week last week. I was feeling good, but I forgot to run yesterday. It's bad. This is supposed to be a down week, but I've blown off two days in a row. Oh, you almost up to the marathon distance in a seven-day span. So you're getting there, Robert. And I have not heard. I guess the Hoka executives were not listening. They did not send me any new shoes. So my shoes are getting a little bit old. We shall see. But maybe I'll buy one of those Normatec recovery devices, John, now that they're so cheap. I won't even need to run. I'll recover so well. I think running would help, but the recovery, yeah, certainly, certainly helps as well. All right. I'm sure you've been itching to talk about Max Siegel and his salary. It's in this podcast, Robert. Do you, what's your, now it's, it's a little misleading. His salary is listed on USATF's tax form for 2018 fiscal year as 4.2 million. When in reality, 3 million of that is deferred bonuses that's being paid out over, a, we think it's a seven-year span. USCTF has not exactly been transparent about this. I mean, my first question... Uh, I thought it was a four-year span. It's it's not clear because they say in some of it it's through 2022 and some of it's 2024. It's not totally clear here. But I think one of the issues, Sarah Lodge Butler reported this as well. She was sort of the one that brought this story to light. USATF didn't post that tax return, the tax form, for the 2018 fiscal year until April of 2020. She asked them why there was such a delay and they just didn't answer that question. I mean, come on, you guys, this is a non-profit. They're supposed to be transparent and they're just trying to hide this. It's ridiculous to me. I'll tell you why I think they did it. They didn't, they've admitted they didn't want to put his salary down as 4.2 million. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It looks terrible. So they were trying. But why not, not post this before the pandemic? Why not post this at any point in 2019? Because I think they were fighting with the accountants and trying to not put it. I think they wanted to put this deferred compensation at the very end. Let's say Siegel quits his job, and then the year bef- then the year later they put all the deferred compensation in after he's already gone. I think they're trying to hide it. I don't have any proof of that. That's just my conspiracy theory. Why else would you delay it? It's either total incompetence. I mean. It's to me. It's totally. I mean, a publicly traded company has to release stuff quickly. This is absurd. This should have been released quickly. Why? Why else would you delay it? I can only think of sinister reasons. So I think they're trying to hide it. Well, the main reason I would think of delaying it is because yeah, they know it's going to look terrible, and 
They know that Matt Siegel has already been criticized for having an exorbitant salary, and now this makes it look even more exorbitant. Because even if you spread it out, if you give him this bonus and you prorate it over about six or seven years or whatever, he's taking home like 1.6 or 1.7 million a year, which is just, it's way more than comparable nonprofits. I mean, you look at the New York Roadrunners, okay? Michael Caparasso, he's their CEO. 2017, they had a $98 million revenue. That's three times what USATF brought in. How much do you think Caparazzo's salary was that year, Well, Robert? Well, I've seen the document. It's like 500000 Not even. 479000 He runs an organization with three times the revenue and makes... I mean, let's, let's add $600,000 in Siegel's salary divided over five years at $3 million. He's basically making $1.7 million. Now, he did take a $200,000 pay cut despite firing 10% of the staff. 20% is, pay cut. I don't think it was even 200000 because the Washington Post reported it was 20% cut from his base salary, which is only about 600000 This This is a joke. This is an absolute travesty. Now, and, and the Washington Post last week and... Um, the sportsexaminer.com both had articles on this where USATF justified the salary. They're like, well, look, he's doubled our revenue, so it's justified. People are like, an agent gets 4%. But this Rich Perlman of sportsexaminer.com has written a fascinating piece. And in this piece, this is what I asked on the message board. It's not even clear. Yes, USATF has doubled their, their revenue. But the only reason they've done that is because of Nike. There's been no significant huge sponsors. What else has he done? So he got Nike to double their money by hiring a, a couple of ex-Nike executives to, to, to negotiate a contract only with Nike. Now, maybe you would, maybe it's actually smart to hire an ex-Nike executives to do it because they know how much Nike is willing to pay. But Perlman, in this article, he's like, I'm not even sure this was Siegel's idea. It, it's possible that the Nike executives came to Siegel. He said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. We'll give you a huge commission if you do it. A good job. They gave them $23 million, and then Siegel gets 3 or $4 million himself just because the revenue is done. Like, if something was going to happen anyway, like, do you deserve this huge cut? To me, this is this is just a travesty. I mean, it's I guess ridiculous. the question to me is, like, are we to believe Max Siegel's the only person who could have achieved this Nike deal? And I just don't think that's the case. But – and then the other thing is – Oh, no. Oh, no. Who, who cares more? Yeah, any idiot – you'd have to be an idiot to not realize – which shoe company cares the most about track and field? You know, and then there's other companies like Under Armour trying to get big and stuff like that. So Under Armour might want to pay. So that'd be embarrassing to Nike if Under Armour started being associated with running. So Nike pays a lot to keep it. I mean, of course, John, a lot of people could have negotiated this because the Nike executives who used to work for Nike thought of the idea. So uh, to me, uh, I have real problems with this. There was, and the message board thread discussing this, someone on there, I, I wish I had the actual post in front of me right now, but I don't. They're like, look, what has this guy actually done besides this Nike deal? Like, there's no innovation. There's no, like, to his credit, um, John, who was the ex-soccer guy that, that was Doug Logan? Doug Logan at least had ideas of bringing the sport forward. He was going to have a U.S. Jamaica meet. And I'm like, no, you're not. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, because you don't control the athletes. You don't pay those showers. So you can't force them to have the sprint meet. But he at least was trying to do things. Has Max Siegel proposed a single idea? The Diamond League meet from New York is gone. Has he helped bring that back? No. Then people in London are at least doing this U.S. versus London versus world meet. Like they're trying things. What has Max Siegel, Craig Masbach before Doug Logan, you know, came up with the USA indoor series. He, he put Alan Webb's 
when Alan Webb, the 353 year, when he ran at USA's that year, and Webb was kind of a phenom like Jim Ryan was back in the day, that race was broadcast live on SportsCenter. At least there was some creativity. It was live on SportsCenter, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. They broke in at SportsCenter. So, like, what has Max, what innovative idea? Like, just try something. Right. Well, I think, he. well, here's the thing, though. So you talk about, like, you know, he's going to look, UK Athletics, they hold this Athletics World Cup, all right? They lost like what two million pounds hosting that meet. I mean, that's gonna. I'm not saying that Max Siegel. Like, I think there's room to improve here. But you see something like that, and you're like, why would we try that if we're just well, gonna get? What's killed? wrong if you if you have a forty million dollars budget? What's wrong with spending two million dollars on a big track meet? That's a fair. That's a fair point, actually. I also I mean, think the Athletics World Cup made a problem because they put their final on the same weekend as the Wimbledon final and the FIFA World Cup final, which was just moronic. But anyway, yeah, I, I know. I agree. Like. Essentially, Seb Co. We talked to him I mean, last of- week, and Seb Co. was like, "Look, the U.S. We've got these two major meets: the World Championships in 22, the Olympics in 28. They're both in the U.S. The U.S. No one around here. There's no track fans in the U.S. People don't recognize these track stars, even though you've got the best team in the world by far every year. And he's like, "Look, you need to get one day meetings going. I think part of the problem is." The infrastructure doesn't totally exist. There aren't a lot of cities or top-notch track facilities outside of like Eugene, Oregon, that want to really host these things. Then the other thing is, you know, you need money behind it. And I think, yeah, USATF, it probably is time for them to start putting some of that money into, you know, try to create some of these one-day elite one-day meet or a few elite one-day meets for your world-class athletes. It's just so frustrating to me. Like, I don't think it's easy to promote track and field, but if you're getting paid. One point seven million dollars. What's his job? That's part of a big part of his job. You should at least be trying. I mean, where is he sharing his vision? Seb Coe, to his credit, is at least reaching out to the press. He's reached out to us twice in the last six months, once to you, once to me, to share his vision, to share the sport, to try to to try to do something. I mean, this this Seagull stuff. Like, okay, think about the Olympic trials, John. Isn't that the crown jewel? They handed that to L.A. and then. They're like, oh, no, we don't like L.A. Mount Sack. We're going to give it to Eugene. Like, the, the shady crap that has gone on. Like, how, how do you butcher that? And yet you think this guy, he can't even properly award the U.S. Olympic trials, which is basically his main job, and he's getting paid $1.7 million. Oh, I don't know. I, the one thing I will say, I mean, look, we criticized him. At least he does have that Nike deal. I mean, that Nike deal is supporting USATF. It's supporting this. Like, without that, there'd be in a lot of trouble. You can criticize how it came about, but he did – Achieve that. You got to give him well, at least some it, credit for that. It's a secu- no. Well, I said it's a safety blanket. But how do you know you couldn't have gotten more? That's what I thought. I think some people would have paid more. Now, right now, some uh, you think other companies would have outbid Nike? You, maybe they could have bid up the Nike deal. I don't really feel like when you don't I, bid it out, it seems like you're going to get a right, lower bid. Right. But now, now there's a global recession. You're glad that you're certainly hell, glad as hell right now. It's not coming up for at this this day and time. You're glad exactly. That you, but so yeah. It, I think they took it as, oh, we're going to double our revenue. It's a safety blanket, so why not do it? But I'm like, okay, that's great, but we could triple our revenue, quadruple our revenue. I mean, think of how much baseball players make. Nolan Ryan was a great pitcher, but the pitchers now, mediocre pitchers, make five times as much as him. Nothing's really changed about the sport, but they're just extracting all the money from the cable TV subscribers. Yeah, I think one of the things, Lauren Fleshman – she's a USATF board member and she told her quote to run as well. I think kind of gets at the feelings of a lot of people in the track and field community about Max Siegel's salary. And she says, in my opinion, no executive of a nonprofit should make that much money. 
no matter how good they are at their job. It's a clear representation of the way very few get super rich off the backs of free or undervalued labor across the entire Olympic movement. There should be total transparency of the way NGB, National Governing Body Executives, are compensated across the board, especially when most athletes are pitted against one another for table scraps. I've said this to Max and the board. We have to agree to disagree. Yep. And that's true of everything. I mean, even the for-profits. Look at Uber. Who's paying the unemployment for those workers? They were contractors. They weren't workers. We are the taxpayers. Yet Travis Kalanick is a billionaire. So... Now I'll be accused of being a communist, folks. Half the half the let's run thinks I'm a right winger. Half thinks I'm a communist, folks. Anyway, right. what else, John? What else do we have to talk about? Well, I think the only other thing is if we want to reminisce a little bit about Chris Zelensky, the twenty six the twenty six fifty nine the ten year anniversary is on Friday. I've got a big piece coming out on it that sort of dives into it. But if there are any uh, any questions or any, any memories you want to share of that race? I remember it was one of the most iconic splash pages. I think in the history of let's run.com because this happened. The race was on a Saturday night at Stanford about nine 50 PM local time. So it was very late for me. I was in the East coast. I was in college at the time and I woke up and when I went to let's run the next morning, I was expecting to read about, you know, Rupp's American record. Instead, I just see 2659 dot, dot, dot Solinsky exclamation point. It's just a picture of Solinsky hugging Simon Byru. And I was like, Holy crap. Like, not only did they break 27, like an American broke 27, but it was freaking Chris Zelensky. I, I was just totally amazed. I mean, what do you remember from that? I have a notoriously bad memory, John. So I'm still trying to figure out if I was actually watching it live because it was the full track Ryan Fenton broadcast is so famous. You know, his, his excitement. And it's just like a fan watching. And But that actually wasn't shown live. The meet was actually shown live on the Stanford website. So I, 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 between now and next week's podcast, I'm going to try to go back to my Google history to see where I was and maybe ask Emery Moore, who was working for us at the time. If Wait, we, Google has your history from like 10 years ago? You can track that way. I think are. they keep it all the time, but I don't know. It's, it's not always on. But John, I'm concerned by this. It was 9.50 on a Saturday night and you're in college and you're asleep? I mean, I wasn't watching the race. I don't remember exactly what I was doing that weekend. I'm trying to think. May, I think it would have been the week before, perhaps. So you'd probably well, we have your- we have long runs it's Sunday at 10 a.m. Robert. I mean, I'm not I wasn't always going to bed at, you know, 2 a.m. every night and hitting the frats. I also didn't drink my freshman year of college. So there wasn't really a lot of partying to do if you weren't drinking at Dartmouth back then. Did you run Haps your freshman year, John? Or? I did. Ninth place. 30-47 in the 10K. Wow. Athlete. I don't think I ever finished higher than ninth in any subsequent half. So uh, the the league got a lot better when my you know sophomore, junior, senior year. That's my excuse. Okay, as a former college coach, if you're a college athlete and you're getting like fifth or sixth right now on the track or like twentieth in cross country, and you're only like a sophomore and you think, oh, you know, this is good. A couple of years, I'm gonna move on up. I hate to break it to you, but what generally what happens is like every year the coaches are recruiting studs. And these studs can come in and get like first or second right off the bat as freshmen or second and third. And they can get in like 10th or 15th in cross country, even fifth or something. So the studs keep getting better and better. And you normally kind of stay mediocre. Yeah, Robert, you should have. Honestly, like if you told me that in 2010, you would have crushed my dreams. But you also would have been right because I improved. But I was just every year would be new kids coming in. Like I got 19th at Heps as a sophomore in cross country. I was the number two freshman or sophomore in the race 
And that was my best finish because I got better, but the league got a lot better and these kids were beating me. It was just, I don't know. I sound like a, you know, disaffected youth. I sound bitter, but it's just, that's the truth. They will recruit studs. They'll come in. And if you're not like a total stud, which I wasn't, uh, you might never get to the top of the podium there or even on the podium. Well, anyway, that's a little depressing, but we were talking about Solinsky. Anything else you wanted to add on that? Well, I think that the piece is, is going to be a great must-read for everybody, and you definitely want to check that out on Friday. But I, I think that, I mean, it's just, A, if he doesn't win that race and he doesn't run 26.59, it's not iconic like it is now. I mean, just all of a sudden it's like, okay, he's going to beat Rupp. Oh my God, he's going to run close to 27 minutes. Oh my God, like in the last five meters, Ryan Fenton's like he's going to break 27. So that was so just the surprise was so unique. But I, I think that what's interesting is it overshadows how amazing he was the entire year. And I, and I may add this stat to your article. You know, only six times in American history, right? You had this stat, John. Um, there are only six times in U.S. history where an American man has run under 12.57. For 5,000 meters. And Solinsky did it three times in 77 days in 2010. Yeah. And one thing, this is just interesting to me. I, I came up with the at the average time of your three fastest times in U.S. history. So Bernard Lagat, the American record holder, 1253. His average fastest three times is 1255. Then you have Solinsky. He's run, he's number two all-time U.S. at 1255. He's 1256. But then it's pretty interesting because after that, it's all over the map. Like Ritzenheim is actually the third fastest American. And then um, Paul Chalimo is fourth. Woody Kincaid, fifth. Bob Kennedy, this is 1256, 1257, 1258, but it's kind of interesting if you're averaging the, the three fastest time. Ritz's next best time after 12.56 is 13.09. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I guess I forgot how much of a shock it was when he broke that record, right? Yeah, so his his average three fastest times is only 13.06. I mean, Woody Kincaid's is 13.12. <laughs> but like Bob Kennedy is actually the third fastest of all time at 12.59 average because he ran 12.58 twice and 13.02 once. Um, Matt Tiggenkamp on 12.58, 13.04, But actually, Galen Rupp, who's only, I think, 8th or 10th all-time in the U.S. list, his his three-man average is actually third all-time. So Rupp is run 12.58, 13 flat, 13.01. That average is out to be 13 flat point four. Wait a second. He's ahead of Kennedy? Um, no, Kennedy's 12.59.97. So, so he'd be fourth because he'd be yeah. behind Lagarde, Kennedy, and Solinsky. But it's, it's kind of interesting to me that Cholimo, I mean, the things that struck out me was like Rupp was sort of very consistent, just couldn't pop the good one. But Cholimo has only run once under 13 minutes. It's kind of surprising. Yeah, it was that fast Brussels race back in 2018. And he got smoked in that race too. Um, but he did run 12.57. But he also ran 13.02 in an Olympic final. Like, that still doesn't make sense to me four years four years later, how Paul Cholimo, like went from just a scrub to the Olympic silver medalist in like a few months. I, I still don't have an explanation for how that happened. Wait, how was he a scrub? He was a scrub before 2016. And then he was Olympic silver medalist. I don't think of him as a scrub because of the way I the way I think of Paul Chalimo is this is back to my coaching days because 2012 was my last year at Cornell and that was Don Cabral's senior year. Don, the Princeton steeplechaser, 
ended up making the Olympic final that year. But I remember there was a spring break me. I think it was broadcast in runner space or, or full track or something. I saw the highlights after the fact. There was the, I think it was the rally relays. And, and Cabral wasn't a miler. I mean, he was, he was kind of a, he ran the 10K sometimes. You know, he's more of a longer. Oh, he kicked my ass in the ten, that 10K we were talking about where I got ninth at Heps. He won that race. He won the Heps 10K steeple double three years in a row. It's pretty impressive. Huh. But not his freshman year when his dad. Well, I'll tell that story in a minute. But <laughs> okay. um, I, I bet a Cornell runner won that race. It's a great anyway. story. So, um, anyways, Don was like a god, obviously, in the Ivy League. Although he did lose the Heps indoor three. Jumble Day, Dartmouth, baby. I trained with him all winter, upset him. We're getting really inside baseball now. Yes. Pretty much all of our non Heps But that spring of his senior year, the year that he makes the Olympic final in the steeplechase, yeah. he, he ran the 1500 at the, at the rally relays, and Paul Chalamo made him look like a JV runner. He blew him away. It honestly looked like a JV runner versus a varsity runner. So, Chalamo yeah, but you weren't thinking for, oh, this guy's a future Olympic medalist. No, if, okay. if not for Mo Farah, he would have won Olympic gold. Like, Come on, man! It was totally out of nowhere. And I think it's he only barely for- made the U.S. team. He got third at the trials. He beat Jer- Jenkins by like six tenths of a second. If not for that, he wouldn't have even been on the team. Hmm. Well, John, I think it's only appropriate that we end with a Cornell story, since Steve Cornell Lum has given his wife has given birth today. And you, and yet also, you want to make it about yourself because no. you coached this guy to glory. So. Over the weekend, I, I did. I went up to Ithaca and I've taken John Kellogg out of Ithaca. He will be coming out of retirement to share his wisdom. Very soon, more than that to be coming, coming weeks and months. Anyway, tell your story. I want to hear it. So we're sitting at the Heps. Cabral was like a superstar in high school. He's his freshman year. We're at the Ivy League Outdoor Championships. He's running the ten thousand. Um, wait, let me look up the. Please tell me you remember who won the race, Robert. Oh, I am. I'm just gonna look up the actual time. So just hold on one second. Okay. Okay, John. I found the results. Two thousand nine men's Ivy League Outdoor Championships, ten thousand meters. We're at historic Franklin Field, May 9th, 2009. We're obviously in the tight team battle with Princeton. 10,000 is huge. It ends day one. Could be a huge momentum swing. They've got Cabral. He's a superstar freshman. They've also got a guy named Brian Lang. It's kind of a tactical race. It's a 30-30 winning time. We come down to the last lap. There's a big pack of people. And for some reason, Cabral's father was sitting like next to all of them, all my all my Princeton run, all my Cornell run. Oh, I said Princeton. Princeton alum here. And he's sitting next to a bunch of my Cornell runners. Like his dad was sitting like watching the race. And they come into the last lap and they kind of been cheering back and forth, kind of like, you know, friendly rivalry. And they get to the last lap and he goes, this is where my son blows your guys away. And I guess he was used to that, like in high school. like just, what, As a freshman though? That's pretty cocky. Dad of yeah, a freshman. Yeah, it's cocky. I wish uh, if you're a Cornell alum and you were at that race, please tell me. I'll have to figure out who was on the team. They were there to tell me the exact words. He said something along those lines. Maybe it was slightly exaggerated when I've been told, heard, heard the story. So he, you know, and then he, I think he tried to take the lead, but you know, my guys are patient or whatever. And Zach Hine destroyed it. 30, 33.44. Nate Edelman, also of Cornell, destroyed it. 30, 35.91. Don Cabral. Destroyed 30 38. Third place, way behind my guys. 1 2. We also scored six, John. Last time I checked, that was 19 points for Cornell and only eight points for Princeton because they got third and fifth. So that's the thing about these meets. You get two scores, we get three, but we outscore you 19 to 8. 
Congratulations, Robert. Yeah, that that Cabral kid never amounted to anything. Nope. You, cle- you know, you clearly got the last laugh on that one. So. Do you think he would trade away one of those Olympic spots for first place in that race, John? Considering he won the race the next three years, I have zero confidence that he would make that trade. They lost the meet by 27 points. If they had beaten us by 19 to 8, instead of losing 19 to 8, they would have only, well, still would have lost the meet though by five points. Hmm. So what you're saying is you're irrelevant. Yes. Well, John. Also, they, didn't you have it? Didn't you have a guy DQ'd in the fifteen hundred in that meet? Wasn't? Didn't that happen? Yes, and his wife will be giving birth also in May. Love is in the air for the Cornell alums, and everyone. Everyone must have got down to business on LRC Founders Day 2019. I mean, clearly it was a, a national holiday. I think, John, we need to sign off. This is becoming too much about me. Oh, this is a very. This was a very hep centric, you know, Rojo Jonathan centric podcast. I mean. If you guys like that, let us know. If you don't like it, we'll shut up and try. Well, shut up a little bit and try to talk about more running stuff next week. But I had fun. I hope you guys did too. Congratulations to Steve and CJ. Preemptive congratulations to Weldon and Catherine. Um, yes. Congratulations to Mr. Selinski 10 years ago. Congratulations to Mr. Hine on winning the uh, HEPS 10K 11 years ago. And Mr. Ryan for winning the LRC Go Contest. Until next week, guys and gals. We're signing off. Normatech and Hyperice have merged, and to celebrate, they're having the biggest sale ever, and it's only a one-week-long sale. So don't miss it. 300 bucks off the Normatech Leg Pulse 2.0. Those are the cool leg, leg massagers. Great system. Every serious runner needs one. And 50 bucks off all percussion products. That's the Hypervolt and Hypervolt Plus. The link is in the show notes to save at hyperice.com.